0: For many a time he braced me up. He was not ashamed of my imprisonment. Often from the very tragic circumstances of captivity come some of the most heroic tales. When people are incarcerated against their will, one such story comes from the Vietnam War. Dr. Julius Siegel wrote a book entitled Winning Life's Toughest Battles in which he shared some of his observations after having worked with prisoners of war and the hostages that were in Iran. In the first chapter, he devoted much room to the idea of having friends that prisoners could talk to. He wrote that few individuals can cope with the trauma of being incarcerated Alone, He noted that even the most powerful figures in the world needed contact with others in the face of crises. In his book, Winning Life's Toughest Battles, he told of Vice Admiral James Stockdale who spent 2,714 days as a POW in Vietnam. On one occasion, the North Vietnamese handcuffed Stockdale's hands behind his back, locked his legs in heavy irons, and dragged him from his dark prison cell to set in an unshaded courtyard so other prisoners could see what happened to anyone who refused to cooperate with their interrogation efforts. Stockdale remained in that position for three days, and since he had not been in the sun for a long time, he soon felt very weak, but the guards would not let him sleep. He was beaten repeatedly, and after one beating, Stockdale heard a towel tapping out in prison code letters, GBUJS, GBUJS. UJS. It was a message that he would never forget in their prison code and their way of communicating. a fellow prisoner that had become a friend of Stockdale's tapped out kind of in a Morris code kind of way, I suppose. Just by snapping his towel, he tapped out, "God bless you, Jim Stockdale." In every episode of Captivity, in recent American history, POWs and hostages have been sustained by the ingenuously improvised lifelines of communication. In Vietnam, a clever tap code in which the number and sequence of taps spelled out letters of the alphabet it became the prisoner's chief means of communication. And this was the code that sustained Jim Stockdale, in over 2,700 days of being held as a POW in North Vietnam. Captivity has the capacity to bring out both the best and the worst in people. In Paul's time, and we just read from uh, Second Timothy, we've just read a small portion of the last row, the, the the last words, the last letter that Paul would write. At some point prior to this last letter, he had been let out of prison by Nero. He had immediately settled back into preaching the gospel. There are some who speculate that it was during this interval that he went to Spain, where he had desired to go for quite some time, but. There were some connections that we are certain that he made during this time. One was that he met with Titus in Crete. I'll never forget Brother Curtis Young years ago taught a Wednesday night Bible study and he called it the Titus Touch. He was one of the men that had encouraged Paul during his final days here on this earth. But this was one of the meetings that Paul had during this short and last time of freedom that he would know on this earth. He enjoyed the company of Philemon and his new friend Onesimus. He was reunited with Timothy in Ephesus, uh, and it is certain that he continued to pour wisdom, understanding, and grace into all these men while they fellowshiped one with another. But his freedom did not last long and suddenly he finds himself confined to a chain once more. He was arrested in Troas and hauled back to Rome and tossed into a dungeon. As a matter of fact, I've seen the place where they believe that Paul spent his latter days in Ephesus. The place was dark and dingy, certainly not a place for humans to be in. The odors of sweat and dried blood permeated the air. And there was always the fear of torture that loomed over that small prison confinement. Torture loomed over it like a fog. But it was from this place, from this hole in the ground, if you will, that Paul pins the words that I just read in 2 Timothy. I am so confident in the translation process that I believe that what Paul wrote in Greek survives in our English translation of our Bibles today. Nero was right days from cutting his head off. Paul was just days from being beheaded. It is believed it happened somewhere around 67 A.D. The greatest New Testament missionary, the greatest New Testament church planter dies in a diseased, ridden, vermin infested place, and it doesn't seem fair. Another thing that doesn't seem fair is that Paul, in his final days, is almost completely and entirely alone, without company. Without fellowship, It appears that Luke was close by, but the mass of people that he influenced and brought the gospel to, the people that Paul influenced and brought the gospel to, seemed to be nowhere around during this very tragic and tumultuous time in Paul's last days. I'm sure that Timothy probably was quite disturbed when he read Paul's words of how that he was ready to be offered, literally to be poured out like a drink offering, and that his departure from this world was nigh at hand, which is only two chapters after what I just read to you. Be careful that you do not get too caught up in needing recognition and appreciation down here. Your reward will be on the other side, and it is critical to that we always keep heaven in our view. Amen. Somebody said one time that working for the Lord here doesn't pay that much, but the retirement plan is out of this world, and that's the way I feel about it here today. Praise the Lord. The devil loves. The devil really enjoys taking some of God's choicest servants and work their minds over in the waning hours of tragedy, disappointment, and even in their life. I'm not going to take the time here this morning, but I would have to, if I had time, I would share with you a brief summary of 2nd Timothy because it's the last book that Paul wrote before his he was beheaded by Nero. Uh, chapter 1 is a call to courageous living. Chapter 2 is a checklist of sorts, if you will, for the faithful soldier of the cross. Chapter 3 is a warning list for our difficult days. Chapter 4, Paul makes a call to Timothy to preach the word, to stick to your calling, to stay with the plan and vision that God has, to do the work of an apostle, to do the work of an evangelist, and to keep your end in sight because Paul commented in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy that life is but a vapor. So it's with those final words they executed Paul. They beheaded him. And at that moment, he was set free from the attachments of this life. It was painful, no doubt, but well rewarded because of his faithfulness. Sometimes, sometimes, I have moments where I retreat into my own mind, into my own times of meditation. And I try to imagine in my mind what it's going to be like when we will be called out of here in a moment at the twinkling of an eye. And all the trouble and trial and heartache and heartbreak of this life will finally once and for all be all over with. And we will be with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and eternity. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that time. (laughs) Praise God. But Paul mentions in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that a man comes into his life, Anesiphorus. His name literally means help bringer. I want to draw your attention To this story, we only have a few verses about this man. But he obviously made a huge impact in the life of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, the Bible said, Paul wrote to Timothy, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes, Paul is saying here in contrast to his feelings about Onesiphorus that here he lists two people and he even mentions the entire country of Asia that they have all turned away from me. In contrast to the actions and attitudes of many that was in Paul's life and ministry, there was one man who was kind to Paul In the middle of all of this going on in Paul's life, he makes reference to a man who brought him great comfort. For he said, has turned away from me. Hermogenes has turned away from me. But Onesiphorus is sticking close by. He is bringing me help in my last and final days on this world. Onesiphorus was a man who helped him again. His name means help bringer. But Paul stressed that this man refreshed him in the middle of his struggling with his chain. I want you to notice this, and I'm going to preach here in just a moment. But the Bible said that Paul said, this man ministered to me. He cheered me up. He helped me. And he was not ashamed. Of my chain I'm sitting here Bound in handcuffs if you will I'm chained up I can't move But this man Is not ashamed of my incarceration He's not ashamed Of why I'm here He's not ashamed that I'm bound And I don't have the freedom to minister And what have you These things does not bother him Anesiphorus came to bring help To bring encouragement. The Moffat translation said about Onesiphorus. That Paul said he braced me up. Weymouth said his translation said he cheered me. Mitchell said he sold me up. Philip said he put fresh heart in me. I like what Philip said. Because every one of us from time to time. Is in such desperate need of a child of God. No matter what it is, it has you incarcerated. No matter what it is, it has you distraught. No matter what it is, it's sold in you hostage. No matter what the circumstance is, every once in a while we need a child of God to send a text message, an email, to call on the phone to come visit. And in spite of our circumstances and how embarrassing and how humiliating they are, is still to offer a cheerful word to brace them up and to offer some encouragement to them. I'm sure that there's a part of every one of us that would like to play that role in the lives of people. But sometimes, and I want you to hear me, I'm not preaching frivolous this morning. I intend this to be a refreshing message. But I want to say to us sometimes, and I hear it in Pentecost all the time, I hear it, I hear it enough that it literally nauseates my insides when I hear it but I hear people allude to the fact that I would call so and so and encourage them I would love to go by the hospital and see them I would love to be a friend to them but you know their reputation you know who they are you know what they're about and if word gets out that I went and helped them and ministered to them and it's going to be a drag on my own reputation. It's going to hurt my own good name, and I can't afford to let that happen. Not in a million years, I cannot afford to let that happen. I want to say to us today that we are so misguided and we so misunderstand the purpose that God can do and have in our life. Paul said very clearly when Onesiphorus came to see him that he was not ashamed of my chain. We all are susceptible to moments of pride that can rob us of blessing. I want to say to us, Our posture sometimes is Pentecostals, is great sometimes as it can be. On other occasions, it can be such a detriment because sometimes we get so full. Let me preach here for a moment, but we get so full of apostolic pride. We get so full of apostolic esteem and and that we're so boastful and we have the market on God and we know who God is and nobody else does. And if we go talk to a sinner man, then it's just going to, drag us down. I want to tell you here today and set the record straight that the gospel that Jesus preached is for every man, it's for every woman, boy and girl. It doesn't matter what their life has been. It doesn't matter what their life is. And it doesn't matter what you think their life is going to be. The gospel is the whole gospel to the whole world. And if somebody needs a ministering voice out of us, then they should get that out of us the reason we can't minister to people we go into self protect mode and there is some legitimacy to that but I think bottom line it's a pride issue I just don't want anybody hearing me running around with somebody investing with somebody that Used to be a homosexual. Or used to be a drug addict. Brother Murphy, if I went and saw them, people think I'm going to see them buy drugs. I think sometimes, I'm not going to get on that point, it's too soapboxy, but it's nonetheless true. But I think sometimes, and I want every person at Grace to hear Pastor right now. I think sometimes we need to quit caring so much about what people think and start caring a little bit more about what God thinks. <clears throat> Amen. I love all of you people, but you didn't build my mansion in glory. I love all of you guys, but you didn't die for me on the cross either. You ain't the ones I'm to excuse my my. Here this morning. You ain't the ones I've come to please. I want to please him. I want to please him. Hallelujah to God. And we're all susceptible to moments of pride and self preservation, and we literally cheat ourselves out of a blessing. Imagine the stigma that was in Paul's life at this time. He was a death row criminal. Hated by Rome. This is not an environment where you want to be a friend of Paul. Rome hated him. And for political reasons and as famous and popular as he was, you couldn't afford for political purposes to hang out with him. And if you could imagine all of the physical abuse he had endured, it is doubtful that his appearance was anything to look at either. Yet, Onesiphorus loved him because Paul had brought to Onesiphorus the gospel and was willing to help ease the suffering that was coming at the expense of Paul's chain that Onesiphorus had no shame of. It was meant it, it meant that he was going to have to risk Anesiphorus was going to have to risk his own good name his own reputation and if you're going to refresh and encourage someone you're going to discover that there is a cost that's going to be involved in it it's not likely that any of us will have the opportunity to refresh someone like Paul but we're surrounded with people we're surrounded with people who have their own chains their own chafe their own confinement and they constantly push Chains that don't so much blister the skin, but chains that erode the soul of a man. We're surrounded by people who are in chains of failure and they live in it every day. They live in chains of past scars and painful wounds. They live in chains of a habit that can't be shaken. They live in chains of a violent temper and poor self-image. They live in chains of unemployment, financial pressure, and a past they can't shake and a future they can't face. They live in change of depression and fear and physical and emotional abuse. I'm here to preach to our church today. We've got to become refreshers. I'm preaching my heart out and learn how to call anybody, how to call everybody and say, I still believe in you, man. I still have confidence in you. It's time that grace moves past being ashamed of the change that belonged to somebody. I'm happy to say, and in a good Christian way, if there is such a thing, I'm proud to say, that our church has people that attend every Sunday. They were drug addicts, alcoholics, cheated on their spouse. Committed adultery, stole stuff. We have people here that used to be in jail. Who are they? Who are they? Boy, I ain't going to lunch with them no more. I didn't know that, Brother Murphy. We have people here who used to be in jail. I think of that long list that Paul wrote in one of his epistles where he named people that were adulterers and fornicators and liars and drunkards and all of that. And he ends the statement by saying, but such were some of you. But we're washed and we're sanctified and we're redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are we? We're nothing more than sinners saved by the grace of God. And who are we to ever look down? Who is less fortunate and who may be less blessed than we are? We must learn to be encouragers, to be a blessing, to be there for people when they're hurting, and to be behind them when they lose their way. Amen. It was the funniest thing on. Sister Murphy's side of the family, she has an uncle that we adore. He is one of the sweetest people ever walked shoe leather. When Brother Anthony Mangan was preaching family night at, at Tioga, some of you were there, <coughs> he talked about people being in jail. And uh, he said, if you've ever been in jail, stand up. And this uncle stood up. And I'm like, my God, what did he do? He's way too nice, man, to be in jail. Sweetest man ever. I still want to find out what he did. He could be an axe murderer. I want to have so much fun right here, but I'm not going to do it. But I was amazed. How many of you were there? Was anybody else there family night? We have a good number of folks. Did you find it just a little bit of amazing, Sister Sandra, the number of people that stood up and said they'd been in jail? It was over half the tabernacle. I'm like, dear God, I thought the UPC was a big deal. They go to jail as much or more, it seemed like, <laughs> than anybody else. I'm afraid to ask this morning how many of you have been in jail. You may want to find another place to work. every one of us either has or had a chain something we were held captive to but thanks be unto God which gives us the victory and if we're not careful as Pentecostals we can get too big to do something small And you can get too small to do something big. The church needs men and women who are willing to crucify their pride and their prejudice long enough to make an impact for the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how bias and prejudice is going to fit in heaven. I'm not sure if you'll even go. But if you do, I do think God has a sense of humor. And he may put you in a place that will make you eternally regret ever being biased or prejudiced. You may want to think about that. You know, if heaven has that undesirable part on the wrong side of the tracks that might be where he puts you man you just live over there for eternity I love the story of y'all remember old Judge John Parker I believe it was his name that was the judge doing all of this busing desegregation business somebody said one time when he died when he got to heaven God just put him on a bus and he just goes back and forth to heaven and hell all day just, that's a joke you give me some slack here It could very well be that God has blessed you with a heritage, a gift, a help, and even the means to help someone who has a chain. Don't get too important to help someone that has a chain. It could very well be that the person on the other end of that chain is the next apostle. Everybody say amen. The second thing, not only if you want to be a refresher, do you have to lose your pride, but the other part of it is you, it's about responsibility. Watch this. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible said, Paul said about Onesiphorus that when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently. I tell you, Sister Murphy often, she has a, a little cliche that she says all the time when she's real adamant about something, it's always very, very. If the food was good, it was very, very good. If it was bad, it was very, very bad. It's always two varies. And once in a while, she'll walk through the house and say something was very, something, something. I said, oh, only one vary today. Lightening up a little bit on the, the varies. Tease her about that once in a while. I want you to notice. And to me, it would have been sufficient for Paul to have said that he sought me out diligently. But he didn't. He sought me out very diligently and he found me. You know if you want to find somebody when they're incarcerated you're not going to get good directions. As a matter of fact you'll probably get more I don't knows from people who do know just because they don't want you to go. They don't want the person in the chain to get better. you hear me? They don't want the person that's incarcerated to ever be free. They don't they, they have a prejudice and a bias he's, he's, he's a you understand he's on death row. He's a convict. He's in the paper every single day. No, I'm not going to tell you where it's at. But Onesiphorus wouldn't give up. Paul said he sought me diligently, very diligently. I know how it is as Pentecostals. We get that real warm, fuzzy feeling that says, I'm going to call somebody this week and just encourage them. And you hope for their voicemail. Man, I'm so glad they didn't answer. I'm off the hook. I tried. I feel so good though, man. I did the Christian thing. Don't be stupid. God knows your heart. You didn't do squat. If that's your attitude, you didn't do squat. Did you call back? Did you keep calling? Did you call over and over and over? Did you just say, I'm not stopping until I get a hold of these people such a ministry about Paul being in prison is also about being reliable. It's about being dependable. Perhaps responsible might be the best word to use. Our current culture needs men and women who are steady under pressure and who are willing to just simply work for God and learn how to encourage the Pauls in our life who are chained and incarcerated, who need help, who need encouragement. There are times that if you're going to give yourself to the ministry of refreshment, you'll have to seek out opportunities to do it. The New International Version says it this way. He searched hard for me until he found me. Anesiphorus had a sense of responsibility about him and it motivated him to look look for Paul and look for Paul and look for Paul and look for Paul until he finally found him. I have a feeling he was one of those people that buried himself in the kingdom, that loved the kingdom of God, that loved God's people no matter who they were, that loved God's people no matter what they stood for, that loved God's people and refused to put labels on them. Get on another soapbox this morning, but Pastor is really weary with all this labeling we do to people. Well, they're over there is charismatic, and them over there is too conservative, and then there's others who's too progressive, and then there's others that's liberal, and there's others that's this and others that. Why can't we grow up and be and get, get past ourselves? And instead of worrying about what theoretically saved people are or not, why don't you worry about people who aren't going to church anywhere? That you know what they're, they are and what they're not, and you get rid of all the questions. I understand it is a whole lot more fun gossiping than soul winning. I under, I get that. It is so cool to call somebody on the phone and say, "Man, that brother Merrill." He's getting way too overweight, and I don't like his hair Doing his clothes don't fit right. I don't like the car he drives, and his wife and kids, and blah, 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 and just go all, all down. It's more fun to do that than to call somebody and say, man, you'll never believe it. But man, I've been working on this guy at work, and he wants to be baptized at church next Friday. I know the gossip is a whole lot more fun than soul winning. And I just started a new Bible study, man. And these people are eager to know one God. And it's a whole lot more fun to gossip than it is to do that. Is anybody getting my drift here this morning? We need to stop some things that we're doing and start doing some things that we're not doing. The Bible said, Paul said, Anesiphorus sought me out. He found me can't send out a text. I can't tell him where I'm at. He found me and I'm going to be reliable and I'm going to be dependable in the process responsibility rings out of that passage of Scripture. He sought me out very diligently. He searched hard. That means traveling the high stormy seas from Asia to Italy. That means putting life on hold for an extended period of time, taking a few days off of work. It means leaving the warmth and of family and the camaraderie of friends. And it means getting out there on your own expense to do the will of God and not expecting the church to pay for everything. This was out of His pocket. There's another bent to this message that I don't have time to go in today and my time's already up. But we'd rather be the refresh E, more than the refresh-er. And what I hear across the board more than anything else is when I left the church, nobody called me. I went there for 400 years. I went there since Methuselah went there. And when I left, not one soul, I'm not disparaging that let me ask you a question in your tenure of church going when people leave how many did you call I'm sorry you know I apologize probably shouldn't have said that but we're so I need encouragement I need help I need support I need when we forget about there's hundreds of people around us need the same thing. But if we'd start giving it back and forth, you might get it a little more often. So answer yourself the question. When people left the church you've attended, whether it's this one or another one, when they left, did you call them? We missed you. Where have you been? I'm coming to your house. I'm going to take you out for dinner because we want you back. Did you do it? street i find it amazing that all the people that paul ministered to he only got one to come see him out of all them people but you still have to do it you still have to put yourself out there to be a refresher i find it so simple i'm not a hero i'm not the perfect pastor but i've literally apologized to people and i trip all over myself telling them we miss them in church because i don't feel like i'm rubbing their face in it i'm not pointing out that you weren't there idiot that's not what i'm doing Y'all have to excuse me this morning. Give me some latitude. I told you it's gonna be a different kind of sermon. But I like to text people once in a while and we missed you in church. I'm not rubbing your face in it, but I recognize the fact that you weren't there and you were missed. That's it. Just take it at face value. I enjoyed doing that. But I'm terrified. Well, he's just saying that. He's just pointing out because I wasn't there. And what he's really saying is I'm a hypocrite and I really don't love God. If I loved God, then I'd have been there. And it's amazing how we've developed this culture of ministering to one another. It's unbelievable. And don't question your motives. Well, you miss me. Why? What do I do at that church that you miss? I'm, you know, I'm at something special. You know, I just thought I'd come in and nobody even noticed I was there. And I'm like, my God, you made a science out of this. Why don't you call it We Missed You in Church 101? And teach everybody. All the stupidness about just saying I missed you in church. We need to learn how to refresh the lives of people. You have to get rid of your pride. You have to be responsible. This kind of devotion will knit the hearts of people together. This kind of devotion knits people together was so funny it's ha ha funny to me there was a family that transferred from another church to this church the man came to me one night he had been at our church for about a year he had gone from the other church about a year and someone called him from the other church Said, well, man we've been missing you been gone a year You just noticed? <laughs> I'm sorry y'all didn't think that was funny. I thought it was hilarious. Like, my God, man, are we no more attentive than that? To, to who's anyway? I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. A mountain climber named Charles Houston who overcame a mountain climbing disaster in the Himalayan Mountain. And the, the disaster who happened in 1953 wrote about what happens when men are concerned about more than themselves. He wrote, when men climb on a great mountain together, the rope between them is more than a mere physical aid to the ascent. But it becomes a symbol of men banded together in a common effort of will and strength fighting against their only true enemies, which is inertia, cowardice, creed, ignorance, and all the weaknesses of the human spirit. The ministry of refreshment is a call to responsibility, and it can pull a church together if we're willing to give ourselves to it. The third and final point I'll make is it has its reward. Paul said... In verse 18 of 2 Timothy 1, The Lord grant unto him, an 4, that he might find mercy of the Lord in that day. And, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. He ministered to me and he ministered to me and I pray that God will bless him more than he can handle. Paul gives us a small hint when he defines the geographical location that Anesiphorus was in he was in Ephesus very well that he could have been uh, one of the elders there Paul spent three years in Ephesus and that's long enough to really get to know someone I'm not going to take the time to read Acts 20 31 through 35 but it's a phenomenal read but that business about the greater blessing being when one gives uh, gives themselves it's a tiny seed that lodges somewhere in the soul of Anesiphorus and And I just want to give it back. I want to give it back. Here's the reward. Perhaps just maybe somehow it could be that when Paul begins to develop the requirements that he would list for a person becoming a bishop. When Paul would begin listing the requirements of what a person had to be to become a bishop, I wonder if he had Elder Onesiphorus in mind. That you need to be a person that is blameless, vigilant, sober, humble-minded, given to hospitality, one that rules his own house well, having his children in subjection, a good report among those who are on the outside looking in. A person who is given to the spirit of refreshment, want to be. That is the reward of what happens to a man who's given to the ministry of refreshment. He has a life that is remarkable. He lives his life so well that it will be rewarded. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to be. And I have a feeling that's what a lot of you would like to be. A refresher. If you'll stand with me this morning. Those who survived the Bataan Death March did so because they had someone to lean on during World War II. After the march, the Japanese stuffed them into wretched POW camps that had horrible conditions. They were hot, humid, and they were starving because they were being fed stale, old rice. Mistreated by the guards, they were often beaten horrifically on the spot. Beheadings took place on a regular basis for minor infractions the soldiers committed. Under these conditions, the chances of survival were often 50-50 at best, and only those that had a friend would make it. And one particular camp was an army captain that everyone liked. He taught different games to his buddies, and he could tell mouth-watering tales about the best restaurants in San Francisco where he hailed from. He was a man who made the load of everyone around him lighter. His strength came from the relationship he had with his wife. He had married a Filipino woman prior to the invasion, and she became his buddy. But when the invasion took place, both both of them were placed in prison, and apparently through the Filipino underground resistance, he was able to communicate back and forth with his wife while they were both in prison. But one day he got word that she suffered a mental breakdown and was dragged off to one of the psych wards, and no one returned from this place. He knew that. And when this captain received this news, he crumbled. Two days later, he was semi-conscious, and a few days later, he died because he lost his friend. Most of us don't live it, realize it, but somewhere we're on the giving end of an anesiphorus and a receiving end. Of Paul, We refresh others, and they refresh us. We can never afford to throw in the towel on the ministry of refreshment. In the past couple of weeks, I've gotten text messages from people in this church that just said, Pastor, I'm not texting you for a problem, or you don't have to call me back, but I'm just thinking about you. Somebody texted and said, Brother Murphy, I'm praying for you right now. Brother Dave texted Friday and said, Don't need anything. I just wanted to say hi, and I'm thinking about you. They had no idea where I was at. I was chained to something, and it was a ministry of refreshment, and it meant everything. We have two ladies in our church that both work at Hallmark, the Hallmark store, for greeting cards and what have you. I thought, What a great place to work! Because all you read is encouragement, cards that come in. And I don't know, maybe they get sick of it. All the different ways you can say happy birthday and happy Mother's Day and happy Father's Day and Merry Christmas and happy Thanksgiving and have a good Easter. I don't know, maybe they get tired of all that. But somehow, every once in a while, surely you ladies find a good one and it ministers. Somebody is in that business. And they made a lot of money out of it. But could you imagine what it would take to be someone? that has an ability to write that stuff all the time. All you do is encourage people. I wonder if we could open a spiritual hallmark store here at Grace where people would just take it on yourself that this is going to be my ministry. And every Monday I'm going to go through all of my contacts in my phone whether they attend Grace, somewhere else, it doesn't matter. But I'm just going to send them a word of encouragement. The way I want to conclude today, and we have a lot of commotion that's going to happen in a few moments, but I'd like for you to take at least five minutes in this service while they're playing softly. I'm not going to ask you to come around the front today, but I would like to ask you to just to go to somebody, whether you know them or not, it doesn't matter, and just say, I want to encourage you today. I want you to know that I'd like to be your friend for the next few minutes and encourage you and to lift up your spirit. You don't know what people came here this morning carrying you don't know what they've been through the discouragement, the disillusionment disoriented, full of despair while they're playing and singing softly just start walking around the building right now, just go ahead and do it right now that person you always wished you would have called, why don't you go to that person right now just say I'm praying for you I just want to encourage you I want to encourage you, just go to that person right now, God bless you God bless you this morning. God bless you.